Mr. Gallegos, I believe. Now, this is a very special day, isn't it? Now, let's see. What is this special day, eh? Ah, now I remember. It has just this moment come back to me. Today, you're going to get hanged. <laughs> Today, young Mr. Gallegos, killer of children, dances on the gallows. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Listen you well to my word. Oh, wait. Hold on. Oh, we're finally done with Encounter with the Unknown. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'm Kevin. <laughs> and and seven times seven or whatever it was. You think I'd remember exactly what she said, but I've heard it too many times. It's a blur now. I uh, I have memorized it. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, I mean, because if, if you ever just want to curse people, it has to be well. It has to be three frat guys, like three college guys. If you ever want to just curse them and make sure they die within twenty-one days, you got to remember how to say that. I'm just gonna go wander around the CSU campus and just wait for somebody to, like step on my shoes or something. Just start <laughs> yelling that at them and just wait for a car to hit them, you know, or, or uh, a gun to go off or to go skydiving. You know, yeah. are you going things. skydiving? Oh, well, one I'm- by land, two by sea. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Um, it will be good to get back to the Twilight Zone because we had encounter with the unknown. Um, we survived that encounter, maybe. And then the, the episode before that, we it was Twilight Zone, but it was Christmas. So at least I feel like we're getting closer back to the Twilight Zone t- tonight. Yeah. And uh, interesting episode to follow up a very hopeful Christmas episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think the two kind of thematically are kind of related in a, in a they weird do, way. They yeah. do, but... Uh, one depressed me more than the other. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So um, I guess before we get started proper, <clears throat> we don't get a chance to do much news here because this is the series uh, is 50 years old. Um, so the, the big news right now is with CBS All Access. That's their CBS streaming service. Uh, they have this Star Trek discovery going on right now that people like a lot. There's talks of, of reviving the Twilight Zone for a third time or well, actually it'd be a fourth time. Yeah, this would be four because was it? It was 59. 85 2002 and then yeah 2018 19 whatever yeah um yeah so uh, the big news is that they possibly have signed jordan peele from key and peele fame and get out uh to possibly write maybe direct some of the episodes i'm not sure i know it's his production company supposedly that's that's the thing is like he's going to be associated with it that way i don't know how hands-on i mean because this is all real early and we have no idea What's going to happen with anything? I just I feel like he understands genre though because as much as you could say Key and Peele is a comedy show, there was some really deep cut genre stuff in there. So I think he understands. I, I think you know, and plus Get Out shows he knows how social commentary and horror work really well together. 
Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to point directly to Get Out, but you're right. Some of the Key and Peele skits were incredible, and um, it, again, it's a TV show. It's not going to be only him working on it, so I'm sure there's going to be the right people on there working with him. But it's it's hard to talk about some of these news stories that come out because this hasn't even gone into pre-production. Like, who knows by the time that this actually does, if it even goes into production, if he'll still be attached. It's hard to say. I'm excited. Um, I'm a big fan of Key and Peele. I'm a big fan of Get Out. So I'd I'd be curious to see what he can do. Um, But it's so early. Who knows if it'll ever even see the light of day. Yeah, and I was just going to mention, too, there was an article, I don't know if it was Vulture or someone, They the headline I saw, I didn't read the article, because, you know, I don't have time for that. Um, it said, in in a world that, in which Black Mirror exists, do we need the Twilight Zone anymore? And that yeah. made me mad when I read that. Well, it, I, I was actually having this discussion with somebody, because they, uh, they were saying that uh, Twilight Zone shouldn't be touched, and they were unaware that there were two other times that the show was <laughs> rebooted. Um, and I, I kind of brought Black Mirror up as well. I don't think it doesn't mean that the Twilight Zone doesn't need to exist anymore because Black Mirror is here. But I think Black Mirror is doing what the Twilight Zone would have been doing at this time. So it, it's it's almost to the point of... I kind of agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I don't because, I mean, Black Mirror... Is, I mean, there's room for everything, and Black Mirror has a very distinct uh, uh, kind of uh, area that they tread on. So I, I feel like you could cover a lot more of Twilight Zone outside of technology and everything. Um, well, that's But yeah, point, I, yeah, I feel like Black Mirror is doing the modern-day Twilight Zone thing already, so... We'll see. It, it, yeah, just I mean, not to go on too much about it, but I feel like Twilight Zone has more latitude to tell way different stories than. That's what I mean. Yeah, they they have a very singular vision of what they're doing with Black Mirror from the episodes I've watched, where it's very technology based, very uh, current affairs driven. Um, whereas Twilight Zone, you can hit a lot of other thematic elements and everything. Yeah. So. I, I'd be curious. I, I would never say that it's not needed because nothing is necessarily needed. Um, but who knows? Uh, who knows if it'll ever even see the light of day? I'm excited with the prospect of it just because I am a fan of uh, uh, Jordan Peele. So I guess we'll have to see. We'll keep you guys updated. Yeah. And I'm just excited for the notion that you, you might have the next great director or you know storyteller that comes through that because clearly like you you discovered Charles Beaumont like and, and love his stuff because of this Twilight Zone iteration, and you know, and I've liked Richard Matheson, which I know you like him a great light. You know, too, it isn't like you can't have both of them in your life, but you know, they like <laughs> there could be only one, right? So I feel like why not have? If you look at the way they've been kind of rebooted too, it's it's almost generational. So why not? You know, I feel like the format is there, and in being an anthology, uh, you could. If it's something where you don't have to have it every single year, but you come back and look at where society's at every you know generation, I think that's cool. Yeah, I'll only be on board if Jordan Peele will come out as Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, and as do the answers every episode and just kind of turn in like, well, actually, <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I would like that a lot. So anyway, uh, there, there, there's your news segment for the week. I don't know, but uh, enough about that. Let's get into the actual original Twilight Zone. Uh, yeah, I wanted to touch on uh, 
Halloween. Oh yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Well, yes. Yeah, I, I had a day trip before Halloween. We went down to Fairborn, Ohio, which I discussed on the episode of Invasion of the Podcast with Paul um, on our Halloween uh, three discussion. We actually went down there, and the whole city is decked out for Halloween. There's incredible decorations up. The whole town uh, square is all Halloween stores. This company, Foy's, pretty much owns about four or five storefronts right on the little main strip there. Um, there are two bookstores now, one that's like comics and uh, paperbacks and everything, and then the other one's more of a bookstore and games. Uh, but I did find, I posted on the Instagram I found for five bucks, it was a pristine, uh, not first edition, but uh, eighth edition, New Stories from the Twilight Zone by Rod Serling. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was It was only $5. It was in great condition, and I was like, I should probably pick this up. Uh, but yeah, it looks like it has a rewriting of um, uh, the episode we did last, uh, what was it called? Night of the um, Meek. Night of the Meek, thank yeah. you. It looks like it has a rewriting of that story in here, so I'm huh. I'm interested to check that out and see how we changed it. Well, that that's interesting because there's actually some discussion to be had about this episode about how its origins came from two separate stories. So, um, yeah, there you go. well, I think this came out. Uh, yeah, this is 1965, so this would have been written after the episode aired. So, okay, I'm curious to see what he changed going to print. Just a lot more drinking, a lot more Santa drinking is probably what it was. Uh, yeah, that's, that's but, my hope. I don't know. More belligerent <laughs> acts towards children, probably not. Yeah. Hope everyone's <laughs> Halloween was good though. Um, yeah. Halloween night was a blast. Paul ended up coming over. We watched uh, Midnight Hour and then watched some local Cleveland legend Gulardi. <laughs> yeah, it was it was um, fun. Yeah, it was, uh, you're giving kids candy, some kids taking more than they should. Whatever. It was Halloween. It was fine. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. My favorite time of the year. So I just wanted to give it a little bit more time before we move on from it. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun. And, and, but, uh, and I guess there's no good transition. Uh, Twilight Zone again, <laughs> whatever, right? So we're going to go, we go from Christmas to weird stuff to now a Western. Uh, so this was season two, episode 12, Dust, which I just love that name, by the way. It's just a great name, just a singular name. Yeah, and tying into the storyline, too. Very much so, uh, yeah. It, not knowing what's going to happen in the episode and just knowing the name of it, when it, it finally clicks with you, what it's... It, there's so many meanings to just the word dust as the title. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, uh, air date is... Uh, was it uh, January 6th, 1961? So we've closed the door on 1960, uh, and we're, we're you know boldly marching into 1961. And I don't know what that means, but uh, number one song is Are You Lonesome Tonight? Elvis Presley. Number one film, Swiss Family Robinson. So they're still leading the pack. Um, you know, I, I, had, I had a sad story about someone setting fire to an elderly, elderly person's home that yeah. same date let's you know what this episode's going to be depressing enough i don't need to get into there no horses died so we can at least identify <laughs> that um but yeah let's just let's get into this thing proper long live hyperion yes so <laughs> uh this episode was directed by douglas hayes a twilight zone uh, uh regular uh, he directed uh and when the sky was opened elegy the chaser after hours nervous man in a four dollar room uh, the Howling Man, I have the Beholder. So some of the best episodes we've covered so far, um, this was the guy. So if you want to hear us talk about his previous work, you can go back to the And When the Sky Was Opened. 
episode was written by none other than Rod Serling. Yeah, so we'll jump into the cast here. We got some interesting stuff. We have Thomas Gomez as Peter Sykes, who we discussed on the Escape Clause episode in season one, who plays one of Paul's favorite characters, Cadwaller. Yeah, a ca- Cadwallader. A Cadwallader. I yes. Can never oh. say it. <laughs> I still can't say it. Yeah. A, a year later, and I still struggle. Um, yeah, I was super happy to see him again, and 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 also just listening to him. Uh, shill during this episode i came up with this this theory that this is either his uh ancestor or this is actually still the same character he just moves on with different deals throughout time yeah he's so much fun yeah like he uh he's despicable in this episode but it's it's one of those things it's like i'm a big fan of wrestling and there's people are despicable but you love to hate them like this guy his his performance is so wonderful as uh, Sykes. The, well, considering the he, salesman, he's like Hispanic. Like he's actually Hispanic, uh, you know, born. Yeah, and he's playing yeah. such a racist son of a gun in this, you know. And it's like it's it, towards someone that is a Hispanic actor, and it, it gets a little bit weirder too when we get to some of the other cast about where they're actually from. Yeah, but, I was yeah. gonna say that he's not the only one in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so next up we have John Larch. Yeah, if you want to hear us talk about uh, Thomas Gomez, yes. uh, go check out Escape Clause. But this is the last time we will see him on the Twilight Zone, That's unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So next up we have John Larch, who plays Sheriff Coach, who we have also discussed on Perchance to Dream. He was one of the three characters on that one. Um, most notably known for, I just want to bring it up again, Father Nuncio on Amityville Horror. So, um, Go check out that episode if you want to hear us talk about John Larch, uh, fantastic actor. Next up, we have an uh, interesting choice, Vladimir Sokolov, who plays uh, uh, Luis Galagos, Galagos' father. Um, this guy, he was uh, born in Moscow. He was a Russian actor who came over to the States, and uh, he was born in 1889, which I know we like to bring up uh, actors that were born yeah. <laughs> that long ago. It, just, was- it just seems... Like forever ago. He it was, seems so long ago. He was born when Russia was still labeled as an empire. Just think about that. Like that is just, I can't fathom it. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like it's just, I always have to write down people I see born that long ago. Um, especially when you see them in something that feels, you know, Twilight Zone necessarily isn't uh, current, but it, it feels modern, you know. And to see somebody that was born that long ago in something that we consider modern is just it's strange to me yeah uh but yeah he was in magnificent seven he was in and one episode of hawaiian eye mm-hmm. uh two other episodes of twilight zone uh personal favorite of mine mr Sar- sardonicus um but yeah he had an interesting career though because he's kind of vague as far as where he's from like his uh his appearance he, yeah yeah his appearance he has played so many different uh uh, so many different characters from all over the place. He's played Mexican. He's played Chinese. He's played Russian. He's played American. Um, it's just it's very rare you see an actor that can pull it off for all nationalities like that. Yeah, and just and in this episode, like not that you know someone's nationality dictates how they act. It's just it, after no, no. What, what's watching this episode and then like reading, I'm like, wait, he's Russian? Like that just like it blew my mind like completely. Yeah, and no, I'm not saying that nationality dictates no, the no. acting, but uh, his appearance, though, it, it's it's so it, it's vague. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, <laughs> wrong to say, but he's he's just it, it's hard to place where he's from. Yeah, he he's very and unique looking. That definitely but it worked fits. to his advantage, though. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, he puts in an incredible performance in this, and we'll talk about that. Um, did you have anything else about him? Um, no, just I mean, like I just I'd recently watched The Magnificent Seven, and he is the guy who kind of gets the whole movie started in terms of sending out his villagers to go find these guys. So he was kind of always like that, you know, the wise man. So you see him over so often. He always kind of was quick witted too. So when I saw yeah. him again in this episode, I'm like, oh yeah, it's that guy. That was a. Uh, but there's also another Magnificent Seven connection here coming up here in a second too. Yeah, so that connection is John A. Alonzo, who plays Luis Gallegos. Um, yeah, he, he did not do too much acting, but I would say Magnificent Seven is probably his biggest acting role. Um, he ended up in 1964 switching to become a cinematographer and actually had an incredible career Yeah, as a photographer. Um, he, he was cinematographer on Scarface, Chinatown, Star Trek Generations, um, another a, a weird one I'm going to bring up. I'm a big fan of it. Blue Thunder with Roy Scheider. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great 80s helicopter action film. Yeah, he but did, yeah, uh, he he had a huge career as a cinematographer after acting because he pretty much did mostly TV um, during his acting career. Yeah, and just to think that like we talk about some of those people that uh, help create things that we love. I just didn't know this guy shaped a lot of what we love. And then the fact that he was the, you know, the director of photography for Scarface, he's responsible for every shitty County fair prize ever, you know, now, <laughs> you know, like just every time you turn around, I was like, is that like, is that a mirror that you can pop a balloon every, and win? Yeah. Every mirror with the cardboard <laughs> frame on it. <laughs> yeah. So he, he has shaped carnival life forever you know like it just like it's a weird yeah. way to go with it i guess but i just you know like he has so many t-shirts at the mall <laughs> i used to work at you know <laughs> yeah so but it definitely influenced uh things that you love yeah and uh he doesn't have too much to do in this but he's he's definitely uh puts in a good performance yeah uh the only other person i wrote down notes for because i thought it was interesting was douglas hayes jr <laughs> uh, Douglas Hayes' son plays the farmer's boy in this. Who he went on to act and then ended up doing a bit of TV writing as well. Um, but I thought it was interesting he got his son in in on this in one of his first roles. Yeah. Um, the other one, other person I want to mention, just because there's a movie that you may have heard of and it sounds right up your alley. Uh, Andrea Darvey, who is the little girl, uh, Estralita Gallegos. Uh, not only yeah. was she in Hawaii, was also in Night of the Meek, I believe. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, she was in Hawaiian Eye, so I throw that out there. Night of the Meek. She was in a 1971 film called The Night God Screamed, and, oh. and it's about a woman that is persecuted by Jesus freaks after they've crucified her preacher husband. You know, that sounds like you just I'm gonna, you're going to turn around where you're sitting right now, and you're going to pull off three copies off your wall. This sounds like a movie that you own already. I have never heard of it. Um, that sounds incredible. Yeah, so I, I wanted to make a note because I kind of want to watch it. Yeah. Um, oh, man, this director that did it, though, he's done a bunch of those like Angel Unchained and Hell's Angel 69, like a bunch of those 1960s, 70s biker uh, exploitation films. Oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll find a copy. Perfect. <laughs> Movie nights in our future. All right. So, yeah, that's the rest of everything else I had here was a lot of TV work. And then also Robert McCord. We've mentioned him before. He's that guy that shows up in 32 episodes of The Twilight Zone. Here's another, another one of your opportunities to collect them. So make sure you get all 32. <laughs> 
We should make Robert McCord trading cards. <laughs> it's like just the back of his head or whatever, like his, <laughs> or like his left hand that you see in a seed. Like you just don't know. Yeah. Uh, All right. That'd anyway. be amazing. I'd frame that and put it on the wall. <laughs> I would be I'd be awesome. All right, so yeah, that's that's it for your cast and crew. Unless you have any other other people you want to bring up, I do not. I think that does it. There was a village built of crumbling clay and rotting wood, and it squatted ugly under a broiling sun like a sick and mangy animal wanting to die. This village had a virus shared by its people. It was the germ of squalor, of hopelessness, of a loss of faith. For the faithless, the hopeless, the misery-laden, there is time, ample time, to engage in one of the other pursuits of men. They begin to destroy themselves. I appreciated this episode. Just started right off with his uh, narration. It felt like I, I had to catch myself. Like it was like a, a season one episode. And uh, can we talk about the introduction to Serling on screen? Yeah. Uh, probably my favorite so far. Yeah, just, with I'm so sorry. they're testing the gallows out, and the floor on the gallows drops down, and the sandbag falls, and the camera follows the sandbag coming through the trap door, and Serling is standing below. Incredible, I love it, and I'm going to credit that to Douglas Hayes. That had to have been his direction. <laughs> yeah, because like you know, like it would have been better if he was in the gallows though. And then no, I'm I'm joking. That would have been terrible. But yeah, it was, <laughs> it was it was badass. It was really great to have it follow down because you 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 see them testing it with that heavy like 200 pound bag or whatever, um, and and you hear that that distinct noise that you know that's the sound of death. And then uh, then all of a sudden you just have Sterling right right in front of you finishing the monologue and it was it was really good yeah it was, uh, and this maybe it's just because we came off of uh encounter with the unknown with serling's narrations that felt very rambling <laughs> and uh incoherent this just uh, this was such a great setup to this episode introducing the ideas of faith and uh just the uh, exhaustion and uh i don't know i just uh, that this city is run down you know, it, it was such a great setup to the scene, um, putting you into the episode. Yeah. And starting off with the shot through the, the, you know, the dead tree or the leafless, you know, tree shooting through and you see the, the single street of this town. It's, it's all, it's just very, you know, time's moved on from this place. It looks like, and, and then, so it's a really good establishing shot and you got that sway back horse that I just felt bad for. Like, yeah. you know, like even the horses can't even, you know, like their backs are broken here too. Like you really get what this town's about. Yeah. Well, so at first I was, I was kind of bummed out because I knew this was a Douglas Hayes episode and, uh, he's kind of set a precedent of doing some of the more visually interesting ones. And at first I was kind of bummed out because there's not much to do. This is all shot on a back lot. Um, it's just a desolate, dusty city. There's not really much to focus on. Um, but as we go on, this episode visually gets a little bit more interesting. So I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it. But I just want I just kind of want to set it up that I was kind of disappointed at first of what I thought we were going to get from Douglas Hayes this time. But once again, <laughs> he succeeds. Yeah, I, and, and I agree that there's uh, there's not much that you, you when you get to the what's going on with the story i don't know how much um 
character the the, you know, the overall setup can bring to it. I mean, the, the strength of this is the performances. I think overall, uh, the, this is just a good character piece. As yeah, but there, to, there's yeah. definitely some camera tricks going on in this. Yeah, as far as setting up who who is who and what their characters are. Yeah, um, just using camera angles and everything, which I think are fantastic. So uh, we'll jump in. Um, so we see that there's a man in prison and uh, there's a salesman walking down the street uh, who is uh, Sykes, uh, Catawalder, if, if you will. Um, so we find out that uh, Gallegos is uh, in prison for uh, he's a child murderer. Yeah, like the way that Sykes sells it to begin with, though, it sounds way more worse than when you. Well, it's still tragic what happens when you find out, but yeah, it, yeah. It, it paints this guy like like a Freddy Krueger, like you know, this guy murdered you know kids, and this is why he's hanging today. And I, that's why I love at the beginning of the episode, I had to play him being like, "You getting hanged?" I just love the way he yeah. was just taking joy in that, and he comes. He's a peddler of all these things. He talked to, and he tells. Uh, I think he tells uh, Gallegos that he sold the rope. Uh, to them that they're going to use to hang him with. And, and then he goes in to talk to the sheriff and is kind of badgering the sheriff about like, you know, uh, he has like a tonic or something he wants to sell them to. Cause that's, that's what everybody does in the West. They sell tonics to everybody, yeah. you know, yeah. a, a various degree of effectiveness. I'm sure it was all pure like heroin or opium or something liquid form. <laughs> um, but whatever. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. it. You know, I, I said when we we're going over the cast that he was a very despicable character, mm-hmm. But we don't get much time with the townspeople in this, but he's kind of the stand in early on for what the town people are. They're they're faithless. They're uh, bloodthirsty. They, you know, they just they want vengeance, um, just morally bankrupt. So he's kind of the stand in for the rest of the town early on um, until we actually get to see a few of the people. Yeah, but like he he talks to the sheriff, which credit to um, John uh, John Larch, like I he's like my MVP of the episode. As much as I love oh, uh, Gomez, yeah. Larch, it just use he, he looks twisted up, like physically twisted over. He knows that he's the one that has to oversee the execution. He you get the idea that he is sympathetic to the kid, but he understands that he broke the law, and this is that this is what the law says. And just he is so just like just low key. He's just defeated. Yeah. He he looks just drained of energy. And I'm I'm so happy you feel the same way because he was my favorite part of this episode. Uh, I I read somewhere that um, Douglas Hayes, since he didn't have too much control over really crazy visuals or anything in this episode, he spent a lot of time working with the actors and he was trying to get just desperation from every single person on on the cast. And uh, I think it really came through, especially with Coach in this. Yeah, and you're right. Like the, I guess the uh, Larson is a very energetic actor, and Hayes had to kind of keep... Well, just... look, look at the last episode he was in. He was in uh, Perchance a Dream, where he was running around like a raving lunatic, <laughs> you know, trying not to fall asleep. 
Um, yeah, was was he was he the the guy? I thought he was the the doctor. Uh, anyway, I I don't know, but I uh, thought he was the guy. Uh, uh, maybe I'll yeah. I'll double check. I, all I remember is the cat lady, and then there's some skeletons, and then I'm gonna jump out a window. That's what I really remember about Perchance <laughs> to Dream. So uh, I'll, I'll fact check this. We'll, <laughs> you continue. Here. Well, I mean, just just to also remind you, music featured music in this episode is by Jerry Goldsmith, who again did not do Star Wars. So I, I just want to point that out that going forward, I will forever remember that now, but the music in this too, like the slight harmonica and the guitar, like the very just singular guitar that also sold how just, you know, like this depressing this whole ordeal was. And I, I dug that. Yeah. Um, Jared Goldsmith, there's not too many times that they're able to create like, uh, an entire score for an episode. It feels like it feels like there was a clear vision of almost a theme, which is something that happens a lot within Westerns is you have a reoccurring musical theme throughout the episode. I feel like this is one of the only times we've seen it in the twilight zone and coming off. It was the last Western episode we did execution. Kind of. Yeah, kind of, but, uh, Mr. Denton on doomsday. Um, yeah. Mr. Denton on doomsday where that, that episode was a mess as far as we're concerned. <laughs> so it's like coming off of this and actually getting a fairly decent Western, uh, atmosphere out of it. I was, I was really impressed. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we're talking about Larch being like twisted up. Sorry, sheriff, uh, coach, whatever his name is, uh, yeah. twisted up and, and Sykes is kind of badgering him about it saying, you know, like he's like, he said to him, was like, uh, like I, I always thought you were soft on, like he said, basically foreigners and, and other people implying that like he, you know, isn't a racist asshole like Sykes is. <laughs> and, um, and, and, uh, coach or coach, whatever that he's kind of dismissing him saying, you know, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter that like, this is what's going on. You know, I have to, you know, I have to do this and basically, when Sykes asks him to pick a side, he's like, I'll have tears enough for both when it's over. And that's just yeah. a very, that's just a hammer, you know, like it was, it was very effective. Yeah. Um, this, this teleplay has some incredible lines in it. Like, so Sykes asks him, he's, he says, when this day is over, which will you shed tear, which side will you shed tears for? And he said, I'll have tears enough for the both of them. I was sitting there like I, I didn't necessarily know what I was in for in this episode. It was at that point I realized that we're going to get something good from Serling on this. Yeah. And I, I don't do you want to go into this uh, teleplay and where it came from at this point? Yeah. I mean, kind of kind of gives away that's the, the thing yeah. like it, there it's it's a good teleplay i kind of see that it, it must have been rewritten because some of the stuff feels pretty heavy-handed but there's some lines in it that are really fantastic and really well written and feel like serling um but it doesn't seem to fit in the western setting so i'll give you i'll give you the the one of two because the second one gives away the second half of this episode so i won't talk about that one just yet there and was, you were right john larch plays the doctor so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um whatever. so i guess i'm i'm gone yeah so. <laughs> um but he was a really energetic doctor we don't yeah, whatever but uh so the, the one of the one of the uh screenplays this was a radio play i believe it was called it was 1958's a town has turned to dust and the main part of it was about the lynching of a 19 year old Mexican boy. And it talked about like mob mentality and like, like you basically after 
he was lynched. They also wanted to go after his family. And like, there was a sheriff that was standing up to everybody. And it was more about like, you know, groups of people when they get like, you know, it's, it's easy to start a fire with a lot of people than to look one person straight in the eyes and have a conversation about what's right. And I mean, that goes to what happens a little later here in the episode, but that's, that's one half of where this comes from. Yeah. So I, you can kind of tell after finding out that this was rewritten for a while. It, it, like it, it's kind of evident when you watch the episode, but I don't, I don't think it necessarily takes anything away from it because it's still pretty well written. No, not at all. I, I feel like uh, he, we've, we've seen over and over again for good and for bad. If something doesn't pass, doesn't get through the first time, he's going to keep throwing it against a wall until it gets through and since he sits with it long enough, sometimes it has more time to cook and become a better product, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and that just shows you as the, just the kind of, his kind of thought process is like, well, if this didn't work, I'm going to keep this one idea in my pocket. And then once I get to what the other story is too, you're going to be, oh, you can kind of see where both of them led to this, you know? So, um, it's, and it's, it, I, yeah. I enjoy it too. Cause it's, it's nice to see that Serling's like, I really stand by these ideas and, you can tell that he's he's got this uh, these morals to him and he wants to get these ideas out into the world. So it's it always seems important when he's telling you these things. Yeah. And I believe this this town that turns dust story was actually when he the original time he wrote it, it was set at a time a lot closer to the present. And the idea of lynching somebody really turned people off. So he kept moving it back to where it fit well, more. It, yeah, it would have been the late fifties, early sixties. Yeah. Like that would have been with all the yeah. with everything going on. So he moved it back to the old west to where it was more approachable. Kind of like kind of like the Star Trek thing. Like if you take the issue and move it far enough in the future, you can have a conversation about it without naming names. You know, and yeah, that, that's and we've the same seen thing. Serling do that thing as well. I mean, discussing uh, current events as of 1959, 1960, uh, setting them in different timelines and being able to discuss them where people may not pick it up. But if they do, like, it's fantastic. Yeah. So um, so uh, next up, Sykes ends up leaving the, the jail and we get the, the funeral starts for the little girl that he uh, hit. So did, did we discuss yet? What happened to the well? That's girl? what we find out there is that so yeah. uh, with Gallegos, you know, being in jail, you see the funeral procession, uh, and you see um, the the parents of the little girl as they're walking by, and Sykes is just kind of trying to rile them up and saying, telling them like, you know, it's it's you don't be. This is where he tells them, I think, about the rope that he sold the rope that's going to be hanging the the, the kid. Uh, he's trying to tell the family like, you know, you're going to feel bad now, but it's going to be much better later when we hang him. And the sheriff yeah. pulls him aside and it's like, you know, just like basically he's like, just shut the hell up for one minute, please. You know, <laughs> like you, you, it's like you're, he basically he's like, you're a jerk 24 hours a day. Calm down for a minute. You know, and I, I don't have the exact words, but it's like, you know, show some respect. This family lost their kid is pretty much what he tells him. Yeah. So he basically ignores him <laughs> and then sees uh, Goyego's uh, family watching the little girl's funeral and uh, talks about somebody should hit him with a bullwhip or something. <laughs> and it goes right back into character. Yeah. Uh, well, disregarding he, everything that the sheriff just told him. <laughs> but if you notice that he actually stops himself like halfway through that sentence because the sheriff's staring at him and he kind of like, he's like, okay, I'll be quiet again. You know, he almost like, so there's like that, yeah. that brief flash of like, yeah, that was a bit much, wasn't it? You know, type of thing. 
Yeah. Um, so, I, so I appreciated like, uh, you know, uh, Cadwallader here or, uh, like I love, he, he's so good at like, by the way, he looks like the dirtiest like person that ever lived. Like when you see him, he's like Ernest Borgnine levels, like sweaty. And I don't know, like sweaty and like not shaven and like his clothes. I don't know. It's just, he, he looks filthy. Like I, it, that's I, the sign of a good Western. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm just gonna put it out there. The dirtier, the more realistic. Come on, well, like everyone one, would just been covered in dirt and sweat. Well, then this one was a documentary. Then that's like that's how real it was. <laughs> that's how sweaty and dusty he was. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, he was he was great in this. And they just like even for that moment, he kind of stopped himself. But then the procession goes by the the elder Gallegos and his little girl, which I don't know if it's his granddaughter or whatever. And he's trying to get her to talk to the the family, like showing how sorrowful and sympathetic, you know, how much how much this has torn him up. And at first I thought it was because he couldn't speak English. And I think it's just more like he's trying to show sympathy of them having to look at a little girl, you know, even though they've lost their kid. I think he's trying to get across like, you know. Yeah, because he's feeding and they're feeding her the lines in English and she's yeah. just she's just having trouble uh, getting them across to the to the dead girl's parents. So he ends up kind of taking over. Um, but they tell them that, uh, he's, he's really sorry about what happened and that if he could give his own life in return that he would. And, uh, they just kind of tell her to get out of the way Yeah, that they're, they're in the middle of a funeral and walk right past her. So this is the first time that we see, uh, uh, Gallego's father just pleading with them. Yeah, and then he, he walks into the town proper and tries to talk to his son, and he's trying to plead with all because there's townspeople that are starting to show up now. And there's the the father with the eight thousand kids, and he's you know that you talk about how Sykes is kind of the stand in for the town. That guy becomes a stand in for the town where it's like the sheriff's like, "What are you doing here?" He's like, "Well, he's like, you know, my kids have never seen a hanging before, and I figured it's about time they saw one." And he's like, "Well, he's like to teach them pain. Do you shoot them?" And the guy just kind of looks yeah. at the sheriff like, all right, whatever, you know, like he just, you know, like, so the sheriff was just so disgusted that they were bringing kids like this is an event, you know, and, and then the little kid asked, you know, the guy goes uh, junior, whatever, you know, like, are you the man that's going to get hanged? And he's like, you know, yeah, which I thought that's kind of odd. They're just going to let a little kid talk to him, this guy who, who supposedly murdered a kid that felt weird, but you know, you got that moment with like, you know, where you still see that Gallegos is so remorseful and just torn apart and you're going to find out why in a second, you know, and it's, it's still a good moment, even though I feel bad for uh, Douglas Hayes Jr. Like he was put on the spot and his line delivery is not great. Yeah. Yeah. None of the kids are too good in this episode, <laughs> but that's okay. I'll let it go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the father's there and he's kind of pleading with everyone and he's like, uh, he finally, turns to the sheriff and asks him like, haven't you ever been drunk before? Haven't you ever felt so sad that the only escape is to just, is to just drink and ride and not look where you're going and just trying to escape. And, um, so everyone, the sheriff just tells him like, go home. And even Gallegos in the prison cell tells him like, you're not needed here. Like, please, they're just going to hurt you. They're just going to, you know, just just please leave so he ends up uh he ends up walking away kind of dejected and um obviously sad because his son is still going to be hanged and at that time we see that uh sykes 
he's he's kind of looking around. He's kind of you you get for a second that he wants to help him that he feels bad. But yeah. then he goes up to the daughter. Is there something you want to add? No, to just because Gallego Sr. was trying to offer his lucky coin to the sheriff saying, you know, it's a lucky coin. Wish on it. Please oh, let yeah. my and son he says, go. Uh, yeah, he says, uh, take your wishes and your prayers and just go home. Yeah. Because um, you, you find out that this kid, he was so heartbroken over not having a job and seeing everything kind of fade. And just he's so frustrated that he drank and rode this wagon and didn't look back, I think was the line that he used. Ended up striking this child completely by accident and killing her with the wagon. So he is guilty of this, but it isn't like he did it maliciously. you know. So you find out that like he's... It's still wrong. Like that, I don't think anybody's going to say that what he did was that was not good. But he's not he's not a murderer, you know, as the way yeah. Sykes sold it. Uh, but then, yeah, Sykes sees a lucky coin, and you think for a second that you know what, maybe I could help them. And he calls the little girl over, and he's like, "Tell him, tell him that his money's no good, and you know he, that I have magic dust that will help him. But make sure he comes back with money, which he just said his money was no good. So I don't understand that. But basically, tell this little girl, have him come show, find me." And with some money, and I'll give him magic dust that will turn everybody, uh, like, you know, turn all these people, like, they'll forgive him or something. Yeah, and, he says uh, he says that uh, he has a magic dust that turns hate into love. There you go. And he tells her to have her, have her grandfather find him in an hour with 100 pesos. And then we get the fantastic mischievous laugh after that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because then as soon as everybody leaves, he takes an actual bag of something and and, and, and spills it out. And then, which that whatever that is could have been perfectly usable to, to do what he's going to do anyway, I guess. But then he puts. Yeah, it was actual, already dust. Yeah. <laughs> and he puts dirt in there and he's just like cracking up, swinging this little bag around. And it's like it's such a Disney villain cartoon moment that. I don't think many people could like completely sell as both like entertaining and just vile. But he did a really good job of that. Yeah, he is. Like I said, you'd love to hate Thomas Gomez in this episode. Yeah. So good. So then we get Sheriff and uh, Gallegos are talking again. And uh, we we get this great line about uh, the sheriff says, when, when was it that God created people? The sixth day? Well, he should have stopped on the fifth. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. Like, that is that is the most surling dialogue I have ever heard on this show. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he, he's just, he is just, like, so depressed and just like he's the sheriff of sad town you know like no matter what and it's he had some really good lines like that though where he's like yep there shouldn't there should be no man and i mean that like <laughs> it was terrible um i just felt bad but he's really good really good at making me feel bad this whole everybody in this whole thing made me feel bad yeah um so then we get to the gallows it's finally time for his hanging and we get to see more of the townspeople which the townspeople in this episode were cracking me up. They felt like a video game crowd. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I know you play more video games than me, but um, it just the way they were yelling things at the gallows yeah. was cracking me up. They're like, come on, get on with it. Yeah, like, so you're right. That's, that's very much like, like a bunch of like people, like NPCs sitting around waiting for something to happen. I like it. Yeah. Um, um, but, but yeah, yeah they, so sorry, go ahead. So then we get the father is uh, bringing Sykes the money and he tells him to sprinkle it over the heads of the spectators and they'll feel sympathy. So the father uh, still believing him. There's a shred of doubt and he asks him if it's actually going to work. And he's like, you sold him the rope that will hang my son. Now you sell me the dust that will save him. 
Like, are you sure it's going to work? He's like, yeah, 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 it'll work. It'll work. So he pays Sykes, runs off with the dust, and uh, he's he goes in front of the crowd watching the gallows, and he's he's yelling everyone to take heed to the magic, and he starts uh, throwing the dust all over the people in the front there, and everyone's just laughing at him. But then it becomes to the point where he's so desperate, he's he's falling over, he's crying, he's yelling about the magic, he's just throwing dust, and you see the reaction in the townspeople just change. You see the sympathy in their eyes that like this man is legitimately upset that his son is about to be killed. Like it's not just a faceless criminal that's going to be hanged in front of all them. Yeah. And the fact that he has gotten to the point of like, just trying to throw magic dust at everybody to make them reconsider, you know, regardless of what you feel, what's actually in that bag, you have a grown man pleading for his son's life by like any means possible you know that that's a very um even though the performance he sells it really well but what he's saying is very over the top and when you know so it's it's a little it's a little ridiculous but it's ridiculous because it's sad you know and it's very it gets to you yeah and you can see because it as a viewer at home it's it's kind of funny because he's playing that character so over the top but then it, it gets to this point of desperation where you kind of have the same change where you kind of giggle a little bit along with the townspeople like this guy's just throwing dust, you know, uh, just dirt off the ground on everyone. Like you're laughing with the townspeople, but then it, you kind of change the same way. Yeah. And it's really incredible performance uh, when you take a step back and look at it. Um, and I, I love the fact that it's not actually magic dust like there's no supernatural uh things going on this episode it's just the magic is watching people's kindness and sympathy take over and that that's the kind of morality and when you talk about a uh, night of the meek kind of being a good double feature with this um this is where it is yeah i mean I, you know so and I know you want to, you talk about camera placement and usage. And this is, I think this is what you're talking about. Cause as soon as he gets done pleading and he's on his knees, the camera is on uh Gallegos senior and he's just like, you know, just at wit's end and you hear the trap door of the gallows fall or activate and you just see him cringe and not want to look. And the camera stays with him as he turns and looks back at what happened. And I, that, that is the best way to sell that moment. You know, yeah, it, it's it, it's just really good visual storytelling. Yeah, because it puts you into the story with Gallego Senior, like you're in the same boat as him. Like you're waiting to turn and see with him, and that's that's what you look for with with direction and camera technique. You know, like you want good visual storytelling, and you can tell that Douglas Hayes really has it. I mean, at this point, <laughs> uh, twilight zone series, we know that Douglas Hayes has that. Um, but taking a story that necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have the best chance for visual flair. Uh, he does what he can with it. He does some good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you find out that you hear the noise. He turns and sees that the the rope actually snapped and that his uh, his son is actually safe on the ground. And the townspeople are all kind of like, what just happened? You know, like and yeah, and we, and we find out from Sykes that it was a new rope, too, because he just sold it to him. Yeah. So there's no way it could have broke. So would you say that there's no like magic in this? 
I, you know, that's the one bit, you know, where you're like, I, you know, like yeah. anything has anything could possibly have a defect. I get it. But it's like, that's a big, thick, you know, hemp rope. There's that. And I like this because it leaves it in that point of possibility where you could read it the way you want. And that's kind of what happens with the townspeople. But it reminds me a little bit. We've seen a few episodes that have done that. And that's what I love because you can kind of take your background and put it into the episode. Like, do you believe in magic? Like, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because it felt a little bit like Nick of Time where it's like you read into the result what you want to read into it. Right. So, and, and the father against all hope, you know, everything going on, he believes the magic dust worked and he was never told by Sykes that it was just a bag of dirt, you know? And, uh, and then the, what was it? The, some of the townsfolk were like, well, just do it again. You know, it's like, cause they're, they're all, you know, just, they want to see someone die. And the sheriff is like, no, there's only, there's only two people here that can ask for eye for an eye. And he looks straight at the couple and is like, what do you want to do? And that's another one of those great, like, subdued moments because the sheriff still will do what is being required of him, but he understands that there's only he can't make the decision. And I really liked that. Yeah. So we we get the father of the uh, dead girl who says uh, there must be another hand in the rope breaking the hand of the, uh, the hand of Providence. Uh, another really epic line. <laughs> yeah. In Sir Lang's teleplay there. So they say to stop it and. Uh, there won't be any more deaths today. And he says uh, the crowd kind of disperses and Sheriff uh, unties Gallegos and he says, he's like, I'm free. And a, <laughs> another great Serling uh, line here. We get, are any of us free? Yeah. He's like, you're free. <laughs> you're free at least to go home. And he, he runs off with his father saying it was magic and it was love that it brought love back to the people and everything. Yeah, and then you had Sykes, you know, at the end, kind of yeah, moaning that over little, uh, yeah. that little stinger at the end with Sykes, of course. And then, but he has the the gold that was given to him from Gallego Senior, and it's like, and and not that he's a redeemable person whatsoever, but he doesn't keep it because ultimately, you know, it's it's almost like, well, the dust worked in his mind, you know, because he couldn't be the rope, right? So he ends up, or, or or whatever it is, he ends up giving the gold to like three young kids that need it. But he even still does it kind of like an asshole where he drops it in front of them. He's like, well, go get it. Yeah. He just throws it yeah. on the ground. He's like, pick it up. Yeah. And then, and so that's, that's the end there. And I, you know, talking about this, I appreciate this episode a lot more than just watching it. And it, and that's not necessarily true of a lot of the episodes that we watch. Um, I don't know how often I'd come back to this one, but there's a lot of good to be talked about in it, you know? And uh, it just, it, you know, I know I, I don't this was never on anyone's list of like top episodes and I think it's just because it's more character work and there's no big shocking twist but it's just a well-produced like 20 minutes of television yeah I, I would agree it's not one that uh, I'd be running back to rewatch or show everyone but um, definitely sitting there by myself kind of contemplating it and there's some fantastic ideas presented about justice about faith about uh, desperation and uh, it, it, there's just it, there's so much going on that and there's such great lines written uh, some of the deliveries may not be the best um, but I, I this was a really nice surprise for me I had no idea what to expect with this um, I was expecting more of a visual episode just knowing that it was Douglas Hayes and 
getting more of a strong character driven uh, teleplay driven episode was surprising to me. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. Um, so now that we got to the, the big reveal here, so if, if people hadn't watched the episode, now you know, you know the dust wasn't, the dust worked, but it didn't work, whatever. Uh, the other story that Serling had written was called, uh, what was it, uh, the, the Dust by Any Other Name. Uh, it was about a man who wanted to make magic dust, like a factory that makes magic dust that makes enemies forget their hatred. And the townspeople think he's crazy. He eventually dies in like an accident unrelated to his his goal. But something about the idea that his his goal to aspire to erase hatred and, you know, it left a much bigger mark on the townspeople than, you know, anybody else that's like living a life. Like it was basically the idea that this guy was reaching farther. And even though he's not around anymore, his attempt left a big mark on everybody else to try to do better type of thing. So you kind of see how they both kind of fit together, you know, like. Um, there, there, that's two weird parts that make this episode, but you know, I think it's stronger because of those two, like, I'm sure those both by themselves weren't the strongest. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, he had time to kind of play with the concepts and make a nice tight 20 minute episode story. So, yeah. So yeah, it was in, in, um, just, and you mentioned how Hayes like wanted to like kind of sap everybody's energy in terms of like characters. Uh, he really wanted the whole town and its people to feel like that was sinking into dust. So he really, really hammered that home with like just the way the town, like it just everything about that town just felt like it was, it was this kind of, kind of broken. Like even Gallego says to the sheriff, he's like, I'm tired of hating, you know, I'm tired of this, you know, I just want this to be over type of thing. Like yeah. it, it's, it really just kind of seeps in and just, it, and that permeates everything in the entire episode like on purpose. But and that's why a, I yeah. said this episode is depressing. Yeah. Because at the end of it, it's hopeful. Yeah. Like it, it's it's got that Serling morality tale ending and everything, but it just it takes out of out of the twenty three minutes or whatever that it is, it takes twenty minutes to get to any sort of positivity. <laughs> yeah. And it just it just it just wallows in the desperation and the depression. And it's it he and it's good. Like that's that's a good thing. <laughs> he does what he set out to do, but um, it, it, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's not fun to watch. Well, I think <laughs> I think the subdued performances actually make this episode. <clears throat> it gives it a, a better shelf life than some of the ones we've seen. Where and it's not any any fault of you know the actors at the time or the directors or whatever because each episode is supposed to be its own thing has its own own, own energy and own vibe like a, a most unusual camera that thing is just goofy on purpose but everybody's like so upbeat with their line delivery it's very you know zip 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 this with yeah, every it's with, of the time yeah and this feels like it's a little bit more ageless because everybody is, I mean, the, the, the father you know, obviously is over the top, but he's grief stricken. So that you expect that, but the sheriff is low key, even with, um, you know, Gomez being over the top, but it wasn't the same. I don't know. His delivery was, he knew he was the villain that felt different to me than some of these other, it's, it, it just feels more like what you expect of like a method type acting that would come later you know, with, uh, as opposed to like stage acting to me. Yeah. Yeah. You get kind of a cross section of the different types of acting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy that Thomas Gomez was in this because without him, this would have been just 
really, really depressing. Like this would have been painful to get through because um, he was kind of that. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say comedic. <laughs> yeah, he was funny. Yeah, I mean, he he was funny, but he was despicable. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say that he was funny because he was just being racist and uh, <laughs> like bloodthirsty the entire time for <laughs> vengeance against this guy. Um, so, like, I don't want to say funny, but he was the comedic relief for the episode. And uh, so even though his comedy and his acting style was of the time, like it worked within especially him playing off of John Larch's character as sheriff coach. Like it worked. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, this is it's a good, solid episode, a good, also a good example of if, if anybody tells me, you know, like when I talked, we talked way back about the lonely, about how that kind of that, that episode showed me that you could tell a complete A to B character driven narrative in like 22 minutes and make it count. This is another one of the strong examples of like you would take somebody that wants to learn how to write a script, like look at what they did in 22 minutes and you want to tell me you want to write a 90 minute film. Like this is where this is where you see like nice, concise, dramatic storytelling, you know, and it's a very economic and it works really well. Yeah. And got to give it to the credit, give it to the actors, too, because all of the characters do feel lived in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that's hard to do with something that's 20 minutes long. You know, um, it, it just feels like, you know, what that sheriff has gone through. You know what that what Sykes is up to. Um, you know what uh, Gallegos and everyone like what they are up to off camera. Like you feel like everyone's a real lived in character. And sometimes that's a, we don't see that. In no. these episodes so i gotta give him credit like as much as i give serling credit for incredible uh lines and everything that he wrote and um as much as i give Hayes credit for setting atmosphere and everything uh the actors brought it in this one it was it was just overall very surprising to me because i was nervous going into <laughs> our second full western episode and uh i was i was pleasantly surprised I don't know if it, like you said, I don't know if it'll end up on my top list at the end of the season, but um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it was good. So uh, do you have any any other um, notes about the episode? Like, I feel like there wasn't a whole lot out there for me to find about this. Again, some of these ones that aren't as celebrated, there doesn't seem to be as much production notes wise. And that there's probably a reason for that because, you know, people don't dig into these as much as they do like the after hours. Yeah, no, I I don't have too much. It's uh, I just really impressed with some of the dialogue. Like, yeah, I, some of these lines are really memorable. Well, and and and, and because and we've talked about this previously on other uh, episodes that since you have given me a list of westerns to watch that I'm now rushing through because I'm trying to get through the end of the year, <laughs> this something like this stands out to me more, and I just because. A lot of the the dialogue and the performances and the, the westerns around this time is very hit or miss and sometimes very over the top. So coming into this and actually having some some quieter, nuanced performances, maybe maybe that hit me harder in a good way versus some of the more you know I don't know you 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 see some of these Hollywood westerns at this time and it's very you know. I don't know, like not theatrical. Yeah, I guess I would it's, say yeah. where if people are over the top, their characters are larger than life. 
that kind of thing. Yeah. So it was it was a nice it was a nice change of pace from all the westerns I am watching currently to watch this western that could have been I don't know. It didn't have to be in this time. It could have been some other time and it's still but I feel like Frontier Justice though colors this a little differently than had this been set at a different time, you know, because it ultimately was up to the townspeople to make the decision, you know, and that I don't know how many other like good time frames you could tell that story in. Yeah, that that'd be rough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go check out uh Paul's reviews of these westerns on the Invasion of the Podcast blog. He's doing an incredible job. I know you're not going to put it out there, but I will vouch. It is your reviews are wonderful on these films. I'm just like, and then this guy, one guy shot this one guy and then he shot these three guys. (laughs) And then I write write the word bang, bang, bang a lot. That's all my reviews are. It's pretty great. No, Um, your reviews, uh, you're doing an incredible job with it. You're putting in more time than I would expect you uh, rushing through them in three months at the end of the year. (laughs) Uh, you're putting in yeah. a lot more time than I expected you to on some of these ones. So, yeah. um, and even some of the ones I was worried about that, uh, you may not have liked You're you're still putting in the time. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Just, I love it. It's just like this show too. Like, you know, not all of them are going to be winners, but if we're going to have a discussion. Let's get into it. And that's how I feel like, and I, and I like, and it's the same, it's the same experience with this. Like you gave me that list and I knew that I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I found stuff that's been great that I, I didn't even know existed. And I found stuff that I understand why it exists, but it's not something I'll ever watch again. And that's fine too. You know, like, and yeah. it's all different approaches. And I feel like that ties into this really well. So that's, yeah, uh, it just felt very, it felt very um, appropriate that I'd be reviewing a Western based episode of the Twilight Zone that was shot in 1960 you know, when I've just kind of tore through the 60s watching like, I don't know, seven or eight Westerns set in the, like that were not set in the 60s. That would be weird. Um, but were filmed <laughs> in the 60s, you know, like the Magnificent Seven, you know, that was, uh, you know, that felt very appropriate. So it was a nice uh, kind of a um, synergy to use that business term. So anyway. Yes. If you guys want yep. to read, if you want to read my poorly spelled reviews, please do. Uh, but um, I didn't catch any spelling errors. <laughs> I do every so. time I go back and look at, it, I'm like, what did I write there? Um, <laughs> I'm terrible at that. Though, so. <laughs> uh, Let's be honest. Yeah. So um, can, yeah. So go ahead, please. No, that's all I had. I was just gonna say that's that's about all I have for this episode. Okay. Well, let's let's try to rate the twist. Um. I'm going to give it a three because the dust actually did nothing like in terms of the physical dust literally did nothing. The name of the episode is dust, which we, you said at the beginning of the episode that that kind of means a lot for this. And I agree, but it's kind of a red herring the entire time, you know, and I kind of dig that it actually physically did nothing to the people. Yeah, uh, man, I am conflicted because the fact that uh, the magic dust is not magic but the magic still worked because of somebody's faith in the magic dust and uh that the fact that that was able to change the townspeople's uh uh attitudes and everything um i like i like that i just don't know how good of a twist that is (laughs) um i'm gonna be nice i think i'm gonna give it a four oh wow there we go yeah I, I like the positive spin on this. Look at I, I kind of saw it coming, um, but I appreciated it. Fair enough. 
I, I uh, it, this is one of those ones I watched. I'm like a twist question mark at the, like the first time yeah. I just didn't know where to put it, you know? And I, I was debating between giving this a two or a four on the twist <laughs> meter. So that but, kind of tells you, uh, where my head is at right now like, with this. That kind of, that kind of, that actually kind of puts this, this episode in a perfect spot of like, well, maybe, or maybe it's better than that. That's, I don't know how to rate that. So, dust yeah, is perfectly so I, fine. I'm just gonna, I'm going to err on the side of it was better. <laughs> There we go. Perfect. All right. So uh, before I butcher uh, the Sterling intro for the next episode, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Oh, man. So many ways, Paul. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like we haven't done this in so long. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Strange Highways. Join in the conversation on there, which uh, I thank everyone for bringing the Jordan Peele situation to our attention the, on there. The Jordan Peele situation. That, yes. That should be its own show like, like, like this week <laughs> on the Jordan Peele situation. Yeah, uh, so I, I appreciate everyone bringing that to our attention on there. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Strange Highways Podcast. If you want to see uh, whatever random Twilight Zone things I find within my own life on there, um, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to leave us uh, feedback or leave us voicemails, you can send it there. We'll read it on air if you so desire us to. Uh, we are available on Stitcher, iTunes, Satchel, Podbean. Um, we're up there. You can subscribe. And if you would rate and review us on there, it would be much appreciated and it would help us out. Um, and thanks, everyone. We've had uh, a lot of good feedback on the last episode and uh, seems to be taken pretty well with the encounter with the unknown. Yeah, I think I think there's been more listens to that episode than people that have actually seen the movie. I feel like that's kind of, you know, like I'm not talking because of like people listening to our episode. I'm talking like physically, I think more people have listened to our episode than physically people have watched Encounter with the Unknown. Like, I I think it's I think it's a toss up at this point. Yeah. So I think you guys have spoken. Uh, I I, I think we'll definitely do some more detours in our future as far as covering some random uh, sort of connected films. Absolutely. Like as, as much as it was painful, it was still, I knew it was going to be a lot of fun and it was a lot of fun to talk about. And I hope you guys clearly, I, I think you guys enjoyed it. I don't know if you guys actually watched the movie, but I hope you guys enjoyed our talk about it. Um, yeah, yeah but and that's it. We're never going to talk about encounter with the unknown ever again. <laughs> yeah. Put that, put that one in. We're going to throw it into a hole full of smoke for no reason. Anyway. But um, yeah, please, please email us or find us on Facebook. Let us know what you want us to talk about. We're getting to that halfway point on the season. And I know in season one, we wanted to do a halfway film or something, and we just kind of passed by it and just didn't do it. <laughs> so let us know if there's something you want us to cover. Um, we've kind of decided against doing the Twilight Zone movie until we get through more of the series, just because we want to be able to appreciate the film a little, little bit more. So, um, But let us know yeah. outside of that what you want us to do. Yeah, absolutely. So next episode is called Back There. Uh, and I hear I'm going to just read this and I, I'm not Sterling and I apologize for any non Sterlingness that happens while reading this. Um, in this rather posh club, you'll see a group of men argue a somewhat metaphysical subject like time travel. One of them maintains it's possible to go back in time, make a few changes in history. And as a result, do quite a job on the present. In this case, the assassination of one Abraham Lincoln next week, a story called back there. I'd like you all to come with us and I think you'll find it a most exciting journey. So we're getting all Bill and Ted next week. That's what's going to happen. It'd be so much cooler if there are two Abraham Lincolns. And they fought. (laughs) I would like (laughs) that. 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I've seen this one before. It sounds really familiar. Um, I I can't remember much about it, but I remember Twilight Zone and Lincoln, and I doubt there are two episodes with... uh, (laughs) No, there's another one. There's one later... Oh, I forget the name of it, but it's a, it's the lady that's uh, watching all the soldiers walk by her mansion. And oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay, maybe yeah. that was the one I saw. Sorry, okay. guys, I just ruined that one for you. It's like four. It's like three seasons from now, but we'll get to that when we get there. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's the one I remember. Yeah, I just it would be great if they go back and mess with time, and then one of them comes back and becomes Hitler by accident. That's how I want this episode <laughs> to end. That's how the rest of the episodes will end for the. <laughs> The rest of season two. That'd be amazing. That'd be great. All right. So, uh, so until next time, everybody, uh, have a, have a safe week. Um, I don't, don't buy dust without verifying it, that it works, I guess. I don't know. Uh, make sure your rope doesn't break and, uh, we'll see you here next time for back there. Yep. See you guys. See, little one, I'm the man. Will it hurt?